Welcome to the Athlete Plus Network, and it's the official podcast network of the Institute of Coaching Excellence, a research and educational outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. I'm Kevin Carr, CEO of ProtoCEO and industry professor at UF. I serve also as the host of the hit show, How I Transition podcast. The hit show podcast is devoted to talking to current and former athletes on and off the court, field, track, or diamond, and the special people behind the scenes who support elite athletes, the coaches, the teams, the organizations, and their stories to educate all listeners and advance the profession of coaching and supporting athletes. Today, we're delighted to bring another great show. And today's guest is no other than Ronnie Burrell, head coach of the Long Island Nets of the NBA G League. Ronnie is a native of New Jersey, played high school ball at the Mount Clare High School in Mount Clare, then went on to UNC Greenboro. From there, Burrell spent over a decade playing basketball in Europe. He would play in the EuroLeague and also win three Polish League championships. After his basketball career, he got an MBA from Florida Atlantic University and then returned to the game. He started as a G League assistant with the Long Island Nets and the College Park Skyhawks. The Hawks affiliated then as a player development coordinator with the Chicago Bulls before returning to the Long Island Nets this September as the head coach. Ronnie, welcome to the hit show. Kevin, thank you for having me. Excellent, man. This is this feels like family right here. This is one of those guys that when I first met you, you know, we go back a little bit. So we got a little catching up to do as we get into this. We first met at Florida Atlantic University when you were assistant and you were working on your master's degree. So before I get ahead of myself, how would you describe sort of your beginnings as a player and a coach? And what did you do to sort of go from playing to coaching? Describe, you know, that part at first. Well, that's, that's a long story. It starts, it starts with <laughs> me as a college athlete, right? And coincidentally, you mentioned us meeting. It's been almost seven years to the day that I met you. When you met me right in the beginning of my transition from playing to coaching one of the first people I met in Florida. So this is this is great for me to do. It's nostalgic, and, and I, we should have done this a while ago. Um, but yeah, I, my journey into coaching started in, in, with my playing career as a college athlete. So that's the first time that I, I look back now that I'm starting to draw experiences from my college career as a player. I went on to play pro, was fortunate enough to, to be one of the lucky ones that got to try out for the NBA, which makes me relatable to players at this level. And then I played you know over a decade, 11 years to be exact in Europe. Right. Many different countries have traveled all over. When that came to an end, I decided not to get into coaching. But the only thing that I knew was that I wanted to be around the game of basketball. It's what I knew best. It's what I loved. I knew that even though I couldn't and didn't want to play anymore, I wasn't ready to step completely away from the sport. Well, talk to us about what it took for you to leave the game, Ronnie. A lot of athletes we know hang on and they play and play and play because maybe there's nothing next that really excites them as much. But talk about your your transition leaving the game. Right. So I think I had a view of it that was really logical, probably a little bit pessimistic. You know, I was in my 30s at the time. Injuries started piling up. The money started to slow down. You know, my game wasn't quite the same. So it, I looked in the mirror and told myself those things. I wasn't delusional about it. Some people like to hang on too long. 
I also, most more importantly than that, I had a, a young daughter who was just born, and I found myself in my off hours thinking more about playing the game than uh, I was thinking more about the transition, right? So instead of going home and watching film or thinking about practice the next day, I was going home and getting on websites and sending emails and looking at LinkedIn profiles of people in the business. So my concentration has has shifted to career number two. Oh, that's awesome. Now that you're a coach, would you say or help those who even think about going into coaching? What what does it take to be a coach and you know, why did you decide to do it? All right. So first the first thing I would say is that it has to be a hard decision. You have to be steadfast in your decision to coach because it's a job that requires a lot of sacrifice. Luckily for me, it took two years to pursue my MBA while being able to coach and also being able to fulfill my, my interest in sport management because outside of coaching, being around basketball, I thought I might have wanted to be a front office executive at some point. You know, player evaluation, scout the game, start that way. So I had a two-year buffer to really decide which one I wanted to, to pursue. And that was it. So give yourself time to make the decision, you know, educate yourself on the coaching business and the, the tough parts of the business. And once you make a decision, mm-hmm. you know, you attack it. You know, your experience started as a player, but you you went a couple routes, man. You were GA, assistant coach, now head coach. How would you say each of those ex- experiences prepared you for the next? Right. It was, I think I'm fortunate. The journey has been hard. You know, I'm seven years into my second career, my coaching career, seven years. So I think that I've gotten opportunities as a head coach pretty quickly. Um, but each of the steps was a grind. You know, it was a ladder. I didn't get to skip any steps. I didn't get any favors. You know, I worked through each step. And because of that, I became more well-rounded. You know, I learned all the parts of the industry. First of all, that's really important. And also learned parts of the NBA. I never played in the NBA. So there were certain things, the terminology, the processes, what the travel looked like. I got to learn those, you know, from the ground up. And, and that developed my basis of what I use today on a day-to-day basis as a head coach. You know, I would say, man, like it's it's a lot of people say may say, hey, you got a break. But I know you you work for it. And there's just something to be said about, you know, the opportunity knocks and you got to be ready for it. So congratulations to you and uh, for getting this opportunity. You obtained your, your MBA from Florida Atlantic University in 2018. What? made you decide to pursue a master's degree? A lot of coaches don't have those. So what, what made you want to jump in that space? Yeah, it was a couple of reasons. The first was myself, family. I come from an academic family. My mother was a teacher. I've always been an academic. Actually, I enjoy school. I enjoyed college. I mean, it was something that I thought I wanted to do while I was playing online. I found out I couldn't do it. I just had too much time devoted. That's when I was two feet into being an athlete. I wasn't thinking about phase two at the time, right? So that was one of the things I wanted to do for myself. Uh, the second reason was that I thought that if I wanted to get into college coaching, a lot of college head coaches do have master's degrees um, and the pro is not so much a, re- a requirement. Mm-hmm. And then also Florida Atlantic, I was lucky you know, to be Michael Curry was the head coach at the time. Yeah, one of my mentors. Yep. Known Mike for years, even just going back to the end of his playing career. Great guy. One of my mentors was coaching there, had a spot for me. And I saw that Florida Atlantic had a sport management master's MBA program, right? So and thinking along the lines of wanting to be in the front office, perhaps at some point I can obtain this degree, educate myself on sport management in general. It just fit. It just fit. So that's one of the other reason I retired that I didn't even say was that I had this opportunity in front of me and it was worth me, you know, hanging up the shoes and going on to phase two just for that. That's awesome. Yeah. Again, shout out to Mike Curry. Definitely worked a lot with him when he was at the league as a player and as a exact good brother, good friend professionally as well. When you think about coaching, it comes down to what you 
sometimes as a coach, you have to set the culture. Would you give us some insights on how you came up or what are some of your coaching philosophies as you've now evolved from assistant to head coach? Um, share with us how you got there. Yes. Again, that goes way, way back, even to before college is where my personal um, you know, view of coaching, view of the approach to sports and life in general is something that comes from my upbringing. You know, I grew up in New Jersey, you know, New Jersey basketball as a whole, my family included, you know, on the home side is, is, a, is a culture of toughness. There's discipline to it when it comes to competitiveness, and I carry that with me. Through college, I've had, i lucky enough to, another great mentor of mine, Fran McCaffrey, Iowa Hawkeyes head coach today, was my college head coach at UNC Greensboro, and he instilled the same things in oh, me. Wow. I really grew up under him, owe him quite a bit. Um, and then from then on, I played in Europe under a lot of great coaches, coached in the NBA under a lot of great coaches, and taking small parts of their philosophies, their cultures, their communication styles, and it kind of downloaded into myself. And then I just used those and made it my own. You know, as far as culture goes, I think that the first thing that we set here is the non-negotiables. And this is the baseline. Each player, what you all have in common, what everyone is required to adhere to on a day-to-day basis from this guy to this guy, you know. Now, this being pro basketball, we all know that every player is not equal. But there are certain things in our culture that every player adheres to. And that, that kind of kept us as a unit. And I think that, if anything, I learned that this year going forward, that has to be required on any team, any level, any level of players. How do you, like, in your coaching environment and with your players, how do you help maintain a winner's, like, champion mindset, if you will, through wins and and losses? Because, as you know, the season is long, injuries travel, personal issues. How do, how do you maintain that mindset of a champion through, through wins and losses? Right. It's, um, so when it starts with me of being an example, we all get tired during these seasons. We all get frustrated. We have great days mm-hmm. and bad days. Uh, it's my job to come in with a consistent demeanor each day. Wins, losses, never too high, never too low, all those cliches. However, the players have to see that on me first because I know what they go to. They may, may be more sensitive to certain stresses than I am. And whether they are or not, I have to be the example. Uh, the second thing in the G League and any league, all players, all people have a level of selfishness and they have their own goals, which may supersede team goals, depending on the person. What we do here is we don't shy away from our own personal agendas and goals. We just make sure that they align with the team. You know, so if these guys have a healthy outlook on what their careers, they want their careers to be, what they want for themselves, a healthy outlook, a realistic outlook, you know, not an unrealistic one. Then I feel like that healthy outlook, those healthy goals, you combine them and now you have a championship team, you know, if everyone wants to be the best version of themselves. So we talk about that openly here and we'll see hopefully it's working. You know, one of the things I, I like about you, I mean, you affectionately have given me this time as one of your mentors, but I believe you believe in having mentors in your personal and, and professional life. You know, who are some of those for you that have helped sharpen you? as an up-and-coming, you know, leader in, in coaching. Right. Yeah. I, like I said, I can, I've can. said two names, Michael Curry and Fran McCaffrey, two guys that have shaped me as a young man that I've known these men since I was in my late teens. And through people like them, there, you know, met many others, local coaches, people I grew up mm-hmm. under. I realized the importance of coaching in general just for young men, young athletes, young women to learn life skills. And this is not to sound... You know, like, a, you know, cliche at all, because it's true. It was true for me. 
as a young man. I learned most of my most valuable life skills through sports and through the people, through the mentors and coaches that I had. So I do hold on to that and I truly believe in it for any player. You know, other than that, I've had excellent mentors, some of them from afar. For example, I have the pleasure to work for the Brooklyn Nets organization and watch Jacques Vaughn, sometimes up close, sometimes from afar. Sometimes we speak Mm -hmm. uh, in depth, sometimes we don't, we're busy. But just watching him and the way that he operates on a day-to-day basis, I've learned so much. Literally haven't had a chance to thank him enough. But yeah, along my journey has been so many names, so many people. I could mention Keith Gatlin. I'm not sure if you know Keith. It was last at High Point University, legendary player and coach and mentor to young athletes. There's I'm on a, a long, long list of men who would thank him as a mentor. And those relationships are key. I think that all athletes moving into their second careers or throughout phases of their career need to seek out people like this. Seek out what the, a version of what you may want yourself to be or look like in the future. And it's helped me tremendously having those people in my life. Well, I, I personally know that you do a great job. You've reached out to me several times, you know, and gotten to where it's personal, where it's professional. And, you know, I've grown to, you know, look at you as someone that I personally have wanted to help and will continue to do so. And, you know, we continue to grow. But you truly have used, you know, your resources and people around you to help you come up. I've personally witnessed this way before you became a coach, way before you became a professional in the NBA. I remember at FAU, you came to me after I spoke and you said, hey, things are changing for me. I want to go on another level. Can you tell me what I might need to do in order to get a shot at the pros? I remember that conversation. Yeah, I I remember you taking me to breakfast. And you gave me a perspective. This is seven years ago. I remember the place and everything. I could literally <laughs> go back there today if I want, if it's still open. I remember you telling me a perspective of the business that I didn't have. You know, I didn't really know how to network appropriately. Literally at, at that time, didn't know what word meant. Thought I did, but you gave me an insight in how to do it. And um, I'll probably, I'll definitely credit you the most with me developing that skill. Now I think it's just, and, and honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't any rocket science to it. It was just developing told me about the value of the relationships, some ins and outs of the business. And I ran with that. And that's the reason starting off before we became closer personally that I that I've had success. And that's the reason why we stayed in touch. And, and it's, I'm just grateful that we still are. You know, I think the last time we spoke was earlier in the G League season. We caught up while I was in Florida, but we didn't get to see each other. So yeah. this is this is refreshing for me. Nah, that's awesome. And and I agree. You 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 literally took the word networking and you ran with it. And I could not believe how far you had gotten in such a short time, you you call me. It's like, man, I, I'm interviewing for the for the Nets. Like, this is this is like surreal. I'm already here. I'm like, go for it, man. You may have to move. You know, are you ready for that? And then I remember you called me and said you got the gig. So I mean, you you took the ball and seriously slam dunked it. You weren't playing around. You I know you have family and real things happening, so you didn't have much margin for error, right? So I, I really appreciate you you going hard and, and the results are here, man. So this is real. Like you can have conversations and not do something with it, but you've literally did that. And one of the things I wanted to, to kind of help you help our audience is, you know, what's the difference from coaching college and, and to minor league? And you talked about watching Jacques Vaughn, you know, the pros. What What's the differences in the levels for those who are kind of saying, I may want to go college. I may want to go, you know, pro or minor leagues. You know, help us out. Mm, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, I kind of, in my head, 
because this business is so difficult to navigate and there's so many good jobs, great places to work. I like to look at it from the flip side and even other, even outside of that, whether it's high school or grassroots, youth, or, you know, hey, prep, you. all that. It's still basketball. These are still young men. And even in the NBA, the NBA is extremely young now. And even older players, every athlete, the good ones look for good coaching. They look for good relationships. They look for good mentoring. And that goes across all levels. So I like to look at the similarities first, because when you talk about the differences between those leagues, the difference between being a college assistant coach or college head coach to an NBA assistant coach or NBA head coach, and then the G League in the middle or coaching internationally, they are completely different jobs, completely different jobs. The only thing they have in common is the sport, you know, the basketball and the coaching aspect. And, you know, I, I appreciate all, all the platforms. They're all necessary. You know, I think being a college assistant coach is one of the harder jobs in the business just because of the amount of recruiting, especially with the changes to the format of recruiting. And I mean, I'm not an expert on that at all, but the time, the travel, you know, the amount of research that you have to do on players. If you think about it in the NBA or even the G League, you know, we have a front office that does all of the scouting and informs us on the players available, et cetera, whatever the case may be. In college, you essentially have to do both, you know, and that is time consuming. No, I've, I've researched all the routes. The G League in itself is a, is a unique beast just because of the volatility of it. Um, the players have a different level of hunger. They have so many different backgrounds, but they're very, very thirsty to get to the goal of the NBA as they should be. And uh, you have to manage all of those personalities and the stresses they go through. It's a very, very highly stressful league in that way, and understandably so. It is technically the minor league or development league, and these guys are hungry. You know, the resources aren't quite the same, but it's in a sense the same for the coaches. The coaches are all hungry, you know, and uh, it creates a really, really competitive atmosphere, even within teams. So it's all three of those things are interesting and different, you know, beasts in themselves. Yeah, outstanding perspective you had, and, and I can witness uh, firsthand being a former G leaguer myself. It was the D league back then. But, you know, I would visit a team and Ronnie, like a, a month later, six weeks later, I come back, you know, after doing a round of all the other teams and man, half the roster is gone, maybe 80, 60, you know, at least half, you know, you're like, man, this thing is like for real, the attrition and the trying to find that right fit and the movement, like you said, it is a very serious business. So much consideration given to the young men who put themselves in that environment and coaches, but it's a very transient nature in terms of culture and people coming in and out. So you have to be built strong. One of the things I think about is for you, you've had a lot of highs being an exceptional first year head coach, but I can't imagine you haven't had any challenges. Talk about maybe a challenge you've had to face in your coaching career so far. Oh man. The, uh, well, just, just the difference. The main difference for me was the amount of responsibility you have for others. I've never been on, I've always been an assistant. I've always been a coordinator. I've been these things where I work for, you know, we all have bosses, obviously, but on a day-to-day level, I'm responsible for, you know, my staff and the player's schedule. How much time are they going to have free time? How am I going to delegate responsibility? So that was the biggest adjustment. You know, I thought that I had prepared well for that in the preseason, but with the variables of travel, games, all of these things, I realized how much on the fly I had to do and how much consideration it takes to be considerate of people's time, to make efficient use of the time and to get all of this ta- tasks done. You know, and, you know, in the G League, you have small staffs, so you can't delegate. Sometimes people have heavy workloads and you have to delegate fairly. You have to delegate smartly based on people's skill sets. So this I started to realize how much thought goes into those type of 
delegating responsibilities, if I could call it that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I, that was something I had to improve on throughout the season. This to be my first year. And that was that was challenging in a way. That was challenging in a way. I mean, you realize that people are not computers or machines and you just tell them that, no, this person had a heavier load last week. Let me think more about it and change change the structure of what I originally saw. There was a lot of thinking on the fly that went into uh, delegating responsibilities. And that was challenging. Yeah, that's a great perspective. Um, as a head coach, you do now feel it. I mean, literally, you're the face of the franchise from a leadership standpoint. You and the business office leader, but you tend to have that external, you know, whether you win or or lose, you literally the first person. What happened? You know, what, what why didn't the team do this? Why didn't you like you literally have to wear that and that could be challenging if it's not going extremely well. You have to almost own it, I imagine. Has that been some of the pressure too? Have you felt that as a new pressure? Yeah, certainly, certainly. And we've been through all the you know, every season We've been lucky to have a, a really good winning streak at one point in the season, but we started off 0-4. We started off with a near 50-point loss in my first head coaching outing. This is not how I planned it, obviously, right? So, yeah, I'm cert- certain there. I don't want to call it criticism, but you feel the pressure whether you hear it or not um, because it's your job. You know, that, that's part of what you do as a head coach is you accept blame. And then, you know, when you do get credit or accolades, you try to defer and spread that around your staff. It's your job to keep morale high. It's your job to keep like I said, never not people from getting too high or morale dropping low with, between the staff and the players. So, um, yeah, that's been challenging. I think that um, that's something that I knew coming in. You know, I think I was built to, to handle those kind of things just because of my demeanor. I'm, I'm pretty even keel as a person. And the other thing that's really good is that, in my experience, I've worked for a couple of teams. All of them have had great cultures of support. So I've never felt whether times were difficult or really good. I've never felt unjust pressure, criticism, anything like that. And in um, that way, I'm lucky because I know every place is not the way. No, you, you certainly, you could say that at the co- college level, not every organization is built the same and equal. Not every culture is adaptive and inclusive and is supportive. So you hit that right on the nail. I'm glad to hear that you've been in some great situations. To me, you know, you're talking about developing people. You know, how do you ensure players are being developed you know, on and off the court in your organization in terms of how you guys operate? Well, I started in player development. I think that that's one of the fields that's expected. It's a natural transition from being a player into coaching is player development on the floor. is the first thing, skill that you can learn naturally, you know, just because of your athletic gifts and experience on the floor. And you add the coaching and psychological part to that and the human part of that of just, I call it comprehensive player development because I feel like players can't raise their value, can't improve even on the floor if you don't develop the whole person. So luckily for us, I think that the NBA now is getting younger. The G League obviously is getting younger. Teams are focused so much more on their player development parts of their staff. And, you know, Brooklyn is one of those teams that's been in the forefront of that. And they have a culture of developing young guys. You know, whether they stay or move on, everyone that comes through here gets better. And it's because of that focus on player development, right? So what they've done for us, even in the G League, is giving us resources to develop the athlete as a whole. We have coaches, we have player development assistants that get on the floor with guys, but we also have nutritionists, we have sports psychologists, all of these things, you know, that we have access to through the nets. That's the the comprehensive part. Mm -hmm. These guys have learned how to take care of their bodies. These guys have learned how to mentally approach the game, how to learn how to think the game and these things. And that's we focus on that on a daily basis with our players. That's awesome. 
you know, I had a coach say to me, hey, man, you guys develop a lot of players. What are you doing to develop coaches? Like, do you feel from your standpoint you get that? Or is there like their opportunity to, for you to develop too? I know you're learning. you got a whole lot of responsibility. But the coaching development part, how does that work at your level? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the same thing. The same way that players, Brooklyn tries to help the players get better. We have a G League, which is obviously like our farm system. Mm-hmm. When the Brooklyn Nets have training camp, all of the G League coaches are there. Mm-hmm. We're watching, helping, learning. You know, like I said, I'm watching Jacqueline work every day. I'm watching all the assistants work every day, how they plan, how they prepare. All of my assistants are watching the same things. So by the time we go over to the G League side on our own, we're already better. Mm-hmm. You know, we're already better. You know, we're educated on the culture. We're educated on, you know, the details of the offense and defense and things that of that nature. And uh, I think a lot of teams are set up that way. But that that really um, it helped me at the start of the season, being able to get my staff up to speed, you know, by watching the best in the business do it. So, no, that they definitely and obviously I've been an assistant here before. Mm-hmm. So I've been through the ranks in Brooklyn, you know, from my past is my third job under the umbrella of the Brooklyn Nets. And each one, I feel better prepared for the next. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention I had an interaction with Jock when he became from the Spurs and became coach of the Magic very early in his career. And uh, he made the quantum leap and I got a chance to observe him as well. So I do know what you're talking about. Very precise, very, you know, specific and very detailed oriented and, you know, just a real professional, man. So, you know, shout out to Jock and the work that he's you know been doing over the years to get to the well level that he's at. Speaking of success, in January and February of this year, you received back-to-back honors as Coach of the Month for the G League, making you really only the fourth coach to do so. So how did how did this make you feel, man? Congratulations, by the way. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Not uh, it obviously feels good to be recognized. It's difficult for me to accept a award like that in a team sport. Because I didn't score any baskets and I was awarded those two awards because of the play of the team. Obviously, I accept my, you know, my role in that. But this is sports, you know, and, and things happen and sometimes in crazy ways. So we caught a, a stride as a team. The guys bonded together. They bought in to, you know, the things that we had been preaching through training camp. But it took us a while to grasp. And once we did, you know, we, we won 16 games in a row, which is wow. obviously very rare in this league. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I accepted it humbly. That's all I can say. At some point, after doing it in two months consecutively, I had to make a conscious effort with, you know, not just the staff, mainly with the players. Because, you know, they celebrate. They celebrated for me. Little things in practice is really good for morale. But I had to make sure we were fo- not focusing on that if we wanted to continue to win, mm-hmm. you know, and maintain level, our level-headedness and maintain some humility. So, no, there's always two sides of getting awards for me. Right. One side that makes me feel proud, one side that makes me feel a little bit more laser focused on not getting distracted by it. Yeah. Excellent, man. Just a, a, a wonderful, you know, team centered thought around that. Congratulations to you and your team for, you know, getting on those streaks. Those are very hard to do. I want you to think futuristically here for me, Ronnie. You know, you, you're watching basketball, you know, domestically, but you've you played your career overseas and you've seen the international game really have impact now. Would you, you know, indulge us and tell us where it is, you know, where it's going, especially in places like Africa, Latin America, China, India? What what, what do you see in that space for players and coaches and the basketball industry as a whole? Yeah, well, that's something that I'm really passionate about because my whole pro career essentially was in Europe. 
and in the EuroLeague, meaning that you get to play in every country. And I was really lucky. You know, I played four EuroLeague seasons during that time. I got to see, you know, a lot of the guys that are in the NBA now, they're international. They were much younger then, but you know, I played against, I played with these guys, you know, Marcin Gortai, the NBA veteran, was my teammate mm-hmm. before he came to the Marcin. NBA. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we played in, in Germany together for a year. You know, uh, Thiago Splitter, who was a co-worker of mine with Brooklyn, I played against him. Pablo Prigioni, all these familiar names. These guys are now retired like myself. I'm dating myself a bit. But uh, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, right? Yeah. Uh, the Pelicans. Know that. Played against him when he was young and he was dominating grown men. So I saw a lot of that talent early on. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see now just the sheer numbers of internationals. And it's healthy. And I think even from a coach's perspective, you know, the adaptation or adoption, I should say, of some of the European philosophies offensively, especially into how the NBA is coached. Um, I mean, they're obvious. They're obvious, you know, especially with, uh, you know, just bringing over European coaches to they're extremely creative offensively in Europe and have been. And I think that the NBA is starting to adopt some of those trends as far as X and O's go. Mm-hmm. And then you talked about Africa, these other countries. Not only is it extremely great, it's great, like global business. You know, we know there's an aspect of that to it. But especially Africa, there's an undeniable amount of talent over there. And I think, you know, it, it, it's, it's insane. The BAL, you know, the people that are at the forefront of, of doing these academies and finding the talent over there, obviously, is, is great for the people there. It's great for the league. I think we'll see the, you know, the demographic of the NBA continue to change, you know, over the next decade, for sure. Yeah. Well, one thing I can t- tell you totally as being a former exec at the NBA, you know, having a really big China strategy really opened up. China was really the market. NBA first kind of dived in along, along, you know, came Latin America and the UK. But I really think they struck gold starting to go into Africa and India. I, I see just so much upside and promise. Uh, one thing I can say is leadership at, at the league office is leaving no stolen unturned business you know, in terms of on court and off the court, the the uh, amount of strategy that goes on behind the scenes years and years, like think about it, you know, NBA office of Africa has been there 13 years and you're just now hearing about ball the last three years. So that lets you know there's this futuristic thinking and strategy that people have to have. I think that allows leagues like the NBA and you're starting to see the NFL now start developing games overseas because they know there's a huge market in business. I, I would argue that every major league and lease in the U.S. is thinking, how is their global strategy going to be? And um, you haven't seen the reverse of that having played and be over here. Like, I can't imagine you're not scouting Africa thinking <laughs> at some point, you know, you're going to have some talent from there uh, one day. I'm sure people are bringing that to the forefront already. For certain, for certain. I mean, it only takes a player, generational talent like a Joel Embiid that opens up the door to the whole country that he's from for people to want to start to go over there and see, you know, the other prospects. I think it's, I think it's a great thing. I've never been to Africa, speaking of the continent in, in general, never been, would love to do it at some point, you know, through basketball. And that's, that's another thing I talk about just being gracious about having this game in my life, travel the experiences I want to continue to add to them. And another thing I want to do is, I've never been a part of an NBA preseason where, you know, they play the preseason games in a, in a Dubai or Mumbai, these things, the teams. I think that's great. Japan, this is just great for the league. Yeah, indulge me for a moment. I was really blessed by the NBA to go as far as Australia to champion basketball and talk about league business, NBA cares. I mean, so basketball, that orange peel, man, it could take you all the way to the other side of the world. It's amazing. 
And when you talk about, you know, the opportunity to play in global games, I I do recall my trip to the Philippines and going to Malaysia and, you know, going to Taipei and all those places with, you know, legends like, you know, Larry Bird and, and such. And then going with great teams. I think the teams I went to at the time were the Pacers and the Rockets. And as you know, in that part of the world, the Rockets brand was really, really big, you know, because of Yao Ming. So yeah. a lot of, a lot of upside internationally. You know, if you're listening here, do not sleep on the globalization in terms of sports and business because it's extremely high. So sometimes in America, we see one side because it's just dominant here. But there is a whole awakening happening, I think, and other countries are really starting to pick up. Obviously, we know soccer is a big deal across the pond and other places. The other sports are really starting to show some promise. So I'm, I'm so glad you, you were able to speak on that. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about, you know, you as you being a coach and it's extremely important to be, you know, involved in your organization. But there there's also a team at home, you know, that comes first, you know, talk about your, your, your relationship with your daughter. You talk about, you know, what you do in that sense as a dad, because I know it's not easy to do that and be in season. Well, one, she's a motivating factor, as every every parent knows. She's a lucky kid because, you know, she was born during my playing day. She was born in Europe. She's lived in a couple European countries. She's traveled with me certain places she's been exposed to big sports venues all her life to the point now that she almost doesn't appreciate it at eight years old. It's routine for her to be at a practice or to go to a game and she has a lot of fun with it. And that's the difficulty of, you know, the gift and the curse is that I don't get to see her as much in season as I'd like. The cool thing about kids' resiliency is that they get used to being a li- the lifestyle she used to as being a coach's daughter. Hopefully it pays off is all I can say. You know, but the sacrifice is something that people, you talked about people that want to get into coaching. It's things that you have to address, whether you have children and you plan on getting married or having a family or where you cho- you would like to live in this place. But you don't get to, these choices become a little more difficult when you want to be in this industry and uh, it's something to think about. But I've been, I've been lucky, you know, to have her and her, have her understanding, you know, and um, like I said, I'm just motivated because of her more so than anything to try to make this a successful career. You know, finding time for family as a coach is one thing, but how do you find time for you, man, growing yourself and finding that downtime for you? I'm, I'm sure it's not easy. It's not. It's not. It's, it's tough when basketball is not only your job, but your hobby. There's sometimes where I literally have to unplug and do something else, watch something else, try to sleep more. Those things during the season that you struggle with just because you don't want to experience the burnout. You know, so I do have other little hobbies and you know, I'm more of an introvert and take my personal time when I need it. You know, I think that keeps you mentally recharged. It keeps you fresh, keeps your mind sharp. You know, we put enough hours into this game. You feel as long as the job is getting done, I try not to burn myself out. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to have juice and energy for the next day as much as possible. But there, I have not figured out a set way for me to, you know, mentally recharge yet. But I do. I am conscious of the importance of it. Yeah, do you, do you do anything outside of basketball these days? Like, you know, read a favorite thing or you compose music? I don't know, do you sing? You know, what's your what's your downtime thing? You cook? Yeah, I do cook. Call it cooking, you know. But uh, I'm, I'm into fitness. I like to exercise. And one thing that I made sure I even did while I was a player in the offseason as I got older was I want to stay in shape. I really like to box. I like to swim. I would do those things in 
put the basketball down for a while so that when I did pick it back up, I was recharged physically and mentally, right? So I do that now too. I still box, I still work out. I do read movies and podcasts. I'm big on now, something new for me that I'm really into. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I take my time during the week, you know, during the season and do those things for myself, you know, as long as the job is done. And, and and you network, man. You're a good networker. You stay in touch with people. I, I know that. So that's that's awesome for for me. I, I know you told me too. You lo- you enjoy podcasts. You're a big podcaster in terms of listening and and always appreciating. So I'm I would push for you that you do those things. I already see it. So talk about for us. You know, this would be my like coming to a close here. I don't want to end, but I I know we have to. It's like. Think about for yourself some of the things that you're trying to see, like if you could say areas of the the game that you'd love to see, maybe some opportunities grow and develop in. Is there some future side to you to, to see what the game is going to bring in the future, you know, either on the minor or the pro pro side? Is there any thoughts you've had that might bring forth advances as such in the game? Yeah, no specific thoughts. There's two ideas, though, that I'm, I look forward to seeing, and I'm certain they'll happen because historically they have happened. So one, you talked about being involved in the D-League back in the day, so to speak. You know, I also was at one point offered D-League contracts, and they don't look like the, the G-League contracts. You know, this league has improved, become a whole lot more suitable, and it affects guys' decisions. For me, I didn't have a choice. I knew I had no choice but to go straight to Europe. I can't play in the D-League the way this looks. Now guys have a different, you know, set of factors to, to think about when they make this decision because the G League is, is excellent. They, management has done a great job in making this league what it is, and I want to see it continue to improve. I want to see players continue to get compensated better. I want to see, you know, the games continue to look more like NBA games. You know, the venues mm-hmm. improve, and the league is doing that, and it's trending in that direction. And I'll always love the G League. And I want to continue to see it keep trending in that direction. The other thing that I'm always going to be interested in on the NBA side is expansion. Um, I think that it always brings new life to the league when we see expansion teams. You know, you hear rumors about uh, the funny thing is my tryout period when I was coming out of college, I got to try out for the Seattle Supersonics and the Charlotte Bobcats. So when I tell people that, my players look at me crazy (laughs) because neither of those teams are here anymore. But yes, obviously, Charlotte, the city, basketball still alive and well. Not in Seattle, though. So you look, you think about cities where they could possibly expand. And to me, just I like to get creative in my thoughts of what that looks like, literally down to little things like what would they name the team, you know? And, you know, I think that the future of both the NBA and G League, you know, is bright, obviously. You know, the game is at an all-time high globally, like we talked about. And I'm excited, even from a fan perspective, to see where it goes. Oh, man, what what a a rich response there. You know, for me, when... They called me and said, hey, man, we're going to start this brand new league. We're going to try to make history in minor league basketball. I was like, sign me up. I'm a futurist guy. I've built things from scratch. I don't need anything in front of me. I'm I'm willing to take the risk and um, to see where the G League has um, really evolved to. When I left, we went from one team. We had eight teams, and then we weren't doing so well. We went down to six and then went back to eight to 12. And when I left, I think we had 19 to 21 teams. And to see them fulfill the 30 is an amazing feat. And Sharif, shout out to him, you know, president of the G League, you know, to be a former player, go through the program at the NBA office, and now to be a top executive, one of the highest former player executives that we've seen. 
is a testament to the futurist, you know, thinking that is continuing to go on. So I, I hope, you know, you're right. You know, a couple more new franchises. Shout out to Tampa. We need one here. Come on, man. Help us get one in the Bay down here because we've had a little test with the Raptors coming through during COVID. We, we're capable. I really believe. So, you know, maybe Vegas, Seattle, G League. I mean, Tampa, maybe some other cities. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll throw some, um, Futurist thoughts a little later when we get on the line. We've got a, one more segment we want you to jump into. It's called the speed round, Ronnie. So listen, when I say it, give me one word responses. We're close to the end here. So you ready for the speed round? Let's go. Are you rooting for FAU in the final four? Absolutely. Okay, good. I'm an alum. Shout out to FAU Owls and Coach Dusty May. Absolutely. What is your favorite country to play in? Germany. What is one good thing you would never give up? Exercise. All right. What's your favorite thing to do in the off season? Travel. All right. If you had to give someone a book you've read, or let's add a movie to watch, what would it uh, be? Let's go a book to read. I'd give Soul of a Butterfly by Muhammad Ali. My favorite wow. book. Good one. Did your teammates ever give you a nickname or nicknames? Rails. That was my nickname in college. Short story is in college, we had two players named Ronnie on the team and uh, they called me Rails because of my last name just to differentiate. That was actually a childhood nickname and my mother told the coaches that on my visit and they ran with it, unfortunately. <laughs> Good one. What is on your game day playlist? R&B, believe it or not. I'm a big uh, Mariah Carey guy. I actually like to listen to mellow music before the game because I, I don't need to listen to music to get, <laughs> to get excited. You're already excited, I got it. What's your least favorite workout to do? Running. Okay. What are you most looking forward to in the next week? Playoff basketball. Friday for us is, uh, I should in a few minutes here know who we play. I'm looking forward to playoff intensity basketball. And last question on this, what is at the very top of your bucket list to do? My bucket list? I don't you know what? I don't want to give you a boring answer. I'll tell you this, though. I'm not, I'm not quite 40 years old yet. I'm close. I've lived a great life, had a lot of experiences, and I don't really want for much because I have a daughter and I kind of want to live through her. So I'll say one thing I do look forward to one day is hopefully traveling with her as a grown woman and we can share those experiences. I think that would be something I'll tell you at the top of my bucket list. Nothing specific. That's the end of the speed round. Ronnie, if you could leave our audience with a good word, something that will say, hey, you have made some successful transitions and you are doing quite well, but maybe there's somebody out there who has not quite hit it yet. They're waiting for it. They're starving out here hungry. Maybe they're a little depressed and they don't think maybe they can make that transition, that quantum leap like you have. Can you give them some motivating words or some motivating strategy in which to put in place that you would subscribe them to do to make their own version of hit happen? You know, I say the first thing is there's there's amount of fear, there's a amount of stress that comes with attacking this industry from any angle or transitioning from athlete to whatever the industry may be. There's a certain amount of fear and stress. Find ways to manage those two things, right? And then let them make you stronger. You gotta network fearlessly, research fearlessly, put yourself in situations that you're that make you uncomfortable. Eventually they will become comfortable. I'll say that. I was a person who you know, didn't even enjoy public speaking for a long time in his life. And now I, I enjoy it. I embrace it. I embrace the difficult situations. It's become a skill. 
Uh, that's how you get better. The other thing, too, I would say in a, in a more specific way is that whatever industry you're looking to enter, whether it be coaching, for example, research pathways, and then when you network and talk to people, be direct and telling them what you want. Make sure that they know that you're willing to learn and you have work ethic. Those are the only things that people really require. Anything else, we're all capable of learning a skill if we're passionate about it. Man, this has been an amazing episode of The Hit Show. Ronnie, I cannot thank you enough. You have been an outstanding guest. I feel like I was sitting across from you in the living room on some occasions uh, and we were enjoying a nice meal. Listen, on behalf of the University of Florida and the Athlete Plus Network here in the College of Health and Human Performance, we thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. So we don't like to end without our signature outro. Okay, Ronnie? I'm Ronnie Burrell, and you've heard me on The Hit Show. Awesome, my friend. I can't wait to uh, hear this one and play it back. Please subscribe. Please listen to the Athletes Plus Network and The Hit Show, the official podcast network of the Institute for Coaching Excellence and Research Education Outreach Center for the College and Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. And you have heard me, Kevin Carr, CEO of Protoseal, an industry professor at UF on The Hit Show. This podcast is a production of Athlete Plus, the people, stories, and science behind elite athletes and teams. Athlete Plus is the official podcast network of the Institute for Coaching Excellence, a research, education, and outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. The Institute for Coaching Excellence offers various online certificate programs and degrees in partnership with the Department of Sport Management. Learn more today at coaching.hhp.ufl.edu.